Hello, church family. Our scripture passage this week is from Matthew 2, 13 through 18. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, weeping and loud lamentation. That's what we were all expecting the Sunday before Christmas, right? I mean, that's got Christmas cheer written all over it. Um, Herod kills all the babies, Merry Christmas, right? It's got a jingle to it. I want to pause and, and just take a moment and say I'm really thankful to be part of a church that preaches through the Bible, that will preach verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through the scriptures. Uh, Sometimes it does not give us the passage we want, but so many times it gives us the one we need, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that God is changing lives and that we get to celebrate testimonies like what we got to see with Glenn. Just an incredible blessing. And I hope that's not lost on you. But I'm excited to be in the Word with you over the next few moments. I'm going to ask you to really lean in. I'm going to ask you to meditate deeply. What we're going to kind of walk through is it can be challenging. It can be a little hard. And again, it might not be what you came expecting this Sunday leading into Christmas. But we are a distracted people. We're, we, I mean, we're so distracted. I mean, we can, I mean they, Hollywood could spend billions of dollars to make a movie, and we can't make it 10 minutes through it before we're on our phone. Like, we are so distracted. We are just, <laughs> like, crippling distracted. It is brutal. It's not just everybody else, it's me, it's you. Why are we so distracted? And the answer is a pretty simple one, because we want to be. See, our reality is a cursed reality. It is a broken reality that is filled with pain and with suffering. And who really wants to focus on that? I mean, who wants to spend their time there? And so instead, what we do is seek to numb our reality. We seek an escape. So many have done that through bottles or pills or phones or gossip and drama. Fill in your blank. We just want to be happy. 
We just want to feel good. We want to belong. We don't want to suffer. We don't want hardship. And we'll do whatever we need to do to avoid those realities, even if it means suppressing the truth, even if it means living from fantasy to fantasy. But there's a problem with that strategy. It's not true. We know it's not true. It's a lie. And we know it. It lacks meaning and purpose. It lacks ultimate joy. And we trade these things, meaning and purpose and joy, for some fleeting illusion of happiness. And our life circles in the rat race of the pursuit of these things. And I personally believe that is why so many of us are depressed and unfulfilled. Because we are constantly seeking a distraction, an escape that cannot satisfy. And so in this Advent service, I'm sure there are some that are looking for just a few moments of a distraction from whatever is home or whatever is at work or whatever is going on in your life, a few moments of escape. But I want to tell you something. There is something better than a a distraction. God has something better for you than an escape. Faith. Faith. A certain hope that surpasses our curse. Faith, the conduit through which we experience grace. Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this Advent, as Christmas approaches, I want you to be reminded of this huge, this big truth that Jesus followed experience the grace of the king through faith and we're going to see that play out in two big ideas two implications we call them here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church that are incredibly applicable for us as we look at Christmas and both of these are going to be Uh, communicated here in Ephesians 2 as well as Matthew chapter 2. We're reading through the book of Matthew and as we're reading through chapter 2 we're seeing a lot of descriptive accounts. Ephesians 2 is really going to drive home these principles and it's going to be prescriptive and it's going to be very clear in its proclamation and then we're going to get to see that described for us, played out for us as Matthew describes this part of the Christmas story. First big idea, I want you to catch the grace of Christmas, the gift of Christmas, is for the dead. It's for the dead. Say, what do you mean? Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all 
once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Notice there is no exception. Apart from Christ, all are dead. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, catch that, we'll come back to that in a minute. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The grace of Christmas is for the dead. Jesus did not take flesh and come because we needed a little encouragement. He didn't come because we needed a little pick-me-up. Just a little bit better circumstances in our life would be great. He came because we were dead. He came because we were children of wrath, without hope left to ourselves. The brokenness and the evil and the sin saturates us and our world. And that is the context in which Matthew is describing Christmas here in chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So here's some context. The last few weeks, Paul's been leading us through this. The wise men had came to Herod to find the promised king. Herod did not like the fact that these people would come to his area and his illusion of a reign and seek a king other than him. And so Herod said, listen, when you find him, come back, tell me so I can go worship him too. Like wink, wink. And so the wise men find Jesus, and while with Jesus they have a dream, and they say, don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him anything. Depart another way. And so they do. They leave. They depart. Verse 13. And Joseph then has a dream. Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there. Herod is seeking to destroy the child. And so verse 14, he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. So Joseph is immediately obedient 
And by night, he gathers up the child, the promised king, the savior, God in flesh, and Mary. And they take off as exiles and refugees to Egypt. They stay there until Herod is dead. Probably a year or two, we don't know for sure, but somewhere probably in that range. And Matthew takes a moment to answer why. Why would the Son of God have to flee his own land and his own people? And Matthew says, to fulfill, out of Egypt I called my son. Which is a prophecy that goes back to Hosea 11 verse 1. But it fits Matthew's larger theme, a theme that we will get to see throughout all of 2021. Matthew, more so than any of the other writers in the Gospels, will use his Gospel to show Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He will connect all of these prophecies back to him again and again. And here in chapter 2, he's doing something that's really just incredible. He is making a case that Jesus is that promised king. And he's kind of doing it in this uh, argument of, of just what are the odds that one person could fulfill some of these prophecies. In chapter 2, he connects Jesus to Bethlehem and Egypt and Ramah and Nazareth. What are the odds that one person is going to fulfill each of these locational prophecies that are given to him. And so Matthew's emphasis is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's explaining a why. It's so that we might know him, that we might be encouraged, that our faith in him might grow, that we might trust that he is who the Scriptures proclaim he is. It's also worth noting just right here just a side note I want to make sure we catch this because this is important from the moment God took flesh the wickedness of men turned their will to destroy him from the moment God takes flesh the wickedness of men turned their will against him see Matthew's Christmas story isn't some cute nativity scene it's a dark war zone a battleground for the kingdom of men that is saturated by rejection hate and death and so in verse 16 Herod When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. It means he was filled with rage. He he just lost it. He just lost it. He felt threatened and cornered. Herod is just a relentless person in his cruelty. If you study him, you will realize he was paranoid. He routinely murdered even his own family for personal gain. If he thought anyone was threatening him, his reign, his position, they're done. 
And so he, he's known to be cruel. And it's easy for us to look back at Herod and just think of him as an evil tyrant. But I want you to personalize him a little bit more than that just for the sake of our edification, of our growth. See, in reality, Herod is just a prideful man who pursues his will. He is a prideful man who in ignorance would destroy God's promised salvation in order to find meaning in the illusion of his reign. He's a man hoping to turn his distraction into reality, his escape into something more. And so he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I know it's Christmas, but imagine for just a moment that setting. Herod's soldiers going house to house. Family scrambling to hide their sons. Moms screaming as their child is ripped from their arms. Dads restrained as they watch a soldier's knife pierce their son's heart. And the sadness and the mourning as they held their sons and watched them bleed to death. Weeping in loud lamentation, suffering and despair. Matthew is making a point. Christmas is no fairy tale. It's no shallow distraction that aims to be an escape. Christmas doesn't minimize evil. It doesn't hide brokenness. And it doesn't escape death. See, the gospel is not some fleeting escape. The gospel is a redemption story. God proclaims as he sits on his throne, behold, I am making all things new. New. Not hidden. Not ignored. New. He is making new what is broken. And so the grace of Christmas, listen, it's not a few days escape from our broken reality. And let's be honest, we want some of that, especially in a year like this. If we could just have a few days, I get that. The grace of Christmas is the assurance of the coming king and his ability and authority to overcome our brokenness. See, Jesus doesn't hide our sin. Church, he conquers it. He defeats it. And that leads us to just a second, a second implication that comes right out of this. 
The grace of Christmas turns our hope forward in faith. The grace of Christmas turns our hope forward in faith. Now, stay with me because this section, honestly, it's not really clear. It'll make sense, but you're going to have to just stay with me because I think this is so encouraging and I want you to hear this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. He goes on, he says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be uh, comforted because they were no more. Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31.15. It's pretty much a direct quote. And here's the thing. If you were just reading Jeremiah 31, you wouldn't get to verse 15 and go, Oh, that's a prophecy for the Messiah. You wouldn't do that. Not only would you not do that, you wouldn't even get to the verse and go, That's a prophecy. You wouldn't do that at all. We know it's a prophecy because Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it is. But when you read it, it it wouldn't jump out at you that way. The thing that would jump out at you is how it is out of place with everything else in the context of chapter 1. And frankly, the four, four and a half verses around it, it just doesn't even seem like it fits. Personally, I wonder when Jeremiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote it down, if he even knew what it was talking about. If he had any clue what those verses really held. See, to get it and to understand what Matthew's kind of connecting here, you have to chase the context. Because it's not in the words that are said, but it's in the contextual arrangement. And so first, I want to make sure you catch a few things. Ramah is a city that's positioned like right in the middle of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. If, you, if they had kind of boundary lines, just think of it almost like a boundary city. It, it, it lies just kind of right there in the middle of Israel. But it served as a gathering city during the exile. Babylon would assemble all of the captives of Israel in Ramah. And then from there, they would take them back to Babylon, or wherever they're going to take them. But Ramah was the city where all these captives all over Israel were collected. Even Jeremiah himself was taken there. It's documented in Jeremiah 41. But the reference speaks to Israel's captivity and their suffering. Then there's Rachel. A voice was heard in this place of captivity and suffering. And it's Rachel's voice. Rachel is Jacob's Israel, his name's changed to Israel, Israel's wife. It's um, the love of his, of his life. And it's the mother of both Joseph and Benjamin. And in the context of really the arrangement of the tribes of Israel, and as they go through Israel's history, you would kind of understand the representation of, again, both the south and the north. 
Here's the emphasis. The mother of all of Israel. God's people. All of them. There is a contextual point that is being made here. That all of Israel is suffering and is captive. See, this is part of the Christmas story. Israel weeping, or the mother of Israel weeping for her people. Why? Because the reality is there is suffering. There's hardship. They are oppressed and enslaved to sin. And death, their consequence, stings. Stings. And today, there is no doubt. Many of you enter this Christmas season suffering, disheartened, perhaps stung by the death of someone you love. On the outside, you'll smile at the Christmas lights and find distraction and escape and presents and kids and food and candy and all the things that Christmas brings. But on the inside, you're weeping with loud lamentations. You're suffering and you're disheartened and you've lived long enough to know that this life is broken. God has more for you than distraction. God has more for you than escape. This Christmas, there is so much more for you so much more purpose, so much more meaning, so much more joy. There is a greater grace. See, verse 15 there in Jeremiah 31, I said it it finds itself kind of out of place. There's really about four, four and a half chapters. Uh, Remember the chapters, we added those in later, that finds itself as a hope section. See, Jeremiah was the lamenting prophet who prophesied God's judgment to Israel and their coming captivity that would happen at the hands of Babylon. It is, I mean, bleak. (laughs) It is a suffering message. And throughout his entire ministry and throughout this letter, he writes back to the people this incredible prophecy it is one that is filmed or filled with doom and judgment and the consequences of their brokenness but yet right in the middle there are four chapters that promise hope and restoration again i i, I some of you guys kind of know the verse that you hold on to it. It's on your words, you know, for I know the plans I have for you. That kind of is beginning this section. 
But really from chapters 30 to chapters 33, it is a positive, a comforting message that this suffering, this captivity is not the end. That God is doing a great work and he is going to redeem his people. And then in this context of redemption and hope, verse 15, weeping and lamentation. And despite their death and their captivity, their suffering, verse 16, thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears. He goes on in verse 17, he says, there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Did you catch that? There is hope for your future. Many of us are seeking fulfillment in the hope of today. Christmas, Advent reminds us the fulfillment of our hope is coming. It's coming. See, the reality, it's a hard reality, but we've got to understand it and we've got to look at it occasionally. The reality, those families, if their children are spared that night, they will still suffer. They will still die. They will still be saturated by darkness and sin. When do you measure the grace of God? Let me give you the answer. In the full glory of his kingdom. The grace of Christmas turns our hope forward in faith. See, Matthew is making a point that Jesus is the promised king whose glory and kingdom will make all things new That in the midst of great suffering and great evil, he is at work doing something that's going to redeem the world. Find your hope. Find your assurance. In the work and the sovereignty of God. In the midst of your deepest pain you can look forward with hope and you can experience grace through faith no matter how bleak it is because God is at work as the team comes up this is how Paul said it to the Romans Romans 8 verse 18 for I consider That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's what that word means. With steadfast confidence, with assurance, with faith, with faith. See, that, that's emphasized back there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches 
of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So how do you respond? How do you respond to such a testimony of the sovereignty of God at work and such a call for faith? First, set aside your distractions. Set aside the desire to just escape for a moment. And put your faith in Jesus. He and He alone can make new what is broken. He is working every broken thing together for good, together for His glory. We find our hope by setting aside our distractions and giving our faith to the promised King, to the Savior of the world, to Jesus. And second, everybody listen, we celebrate Christmas by looking forward in faith. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again, and he will make all things new. He will complete his work in you that has been declared that you stand before God righteous and just and holy. It will not just be a declaration, but through his work in you and through sanctification, he will make it to be true. There is coming a day where there will be no more weeping and no more lamentation and the sting of your pain will be no more. The restoration of our brokenness will proclaim his glory for eternity. That day is certain. Let us look forward in faith and live in the grace that that faith gives us. That's what I hope for you, my church family, this Christmas. That you wouldn't just find a few days of escape, but that your faith would grow and that you would look forward with a hope that surpasses any hurt and any suffering that you bring into today. And that you will be able to experience a new measure of the grace of God this Christmas. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you, you are redeeming us and calling us to yourself. And so, Father, I ask you, I plead with you, reveal yourself in such a way that through your Spirit, our faith might be established and grow this Christmas. If there's someone here who has never turned over their life in saving faith and acknowledged that while they were dead in their sin, you loved them enough to send your son to pay the penalty, to pay the consequences for their sin, that through faith, 
they might be redeemed. Lord, I pray that tonight, I pray that as they watch this, they would respond in the faith you are due. And Father, for those of us who have established faith in you, Lord, grow our faith. Forgive us for our distraction. And may we celebrate Christmas not just by looking backward or by looking at the things around us today. May we celebrate Christmas looking forward in faith with a hope and assurance that cannot be shaken, that will bring us grace today. Lord, I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, who we celebrate this Christmas. Amen.